us to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today you're going to meet a musician, a songwriter, a singer, a performer, Daniel Monte. He is from Canada, a neighbor to the north. And he has a very different perspective on pop music. It's very cinematic. He also includes a lot of violin in his work. I am thrilled you're going to get to meet him. He's going to be performing in New York City. That's right. Uh, Very exciting to have him at the cutting room. There's a lot of uh, stuff that we talk about, and I'm glad you're going to meet him. You should also meet an Abe's Muffin, say hello to it, and then put it in your mouth. Because Abe's Muffins are allergen-free. So if your kid can't eat certain things and they're tired of eating the cardboard-tasting stuff, Abe's Muffins. It's so much better and allergen-free. Do you like this episode? Do you like this podcast? Make sure to subscribe. Tell your friends, share the episodes, and rate the episodes. It helps us reach other people. And of course, always go to www.isthatreallylegal.com to leave me a message. Uh, It could be how much you love the show. It could be things you don't like about the show. I can't believe it, but it's possible. And also suggestions for who we might have on or topics that we might discuss. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy meeting Daniel Monte. Daniel Monta, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad to meet you. Thank you. Man. Nice to be here. I'm happy to be here and it's nice to meet you. Um, we talked for about 30 seconds before we started recording, so um, I know a little more, but um, I just want to introduce people to you. You are coming to me right now from Toronto area? Toronto, Woodbridge, actually. Yeah, just outside of Toronto in the GTA Got it. And um, you're a musician. I've been fortunate enough. I listen to some of your stuff online. Like anybody else, you know, if I listen to three or four songs, I don't know you. I don't get everything about you. But I can already tell some really cool things about what that I really like about your music. Um, And we're going to talk about those. What people should know, though, is that, like myself, you have a classical background. You are a trained classical violinist, right? I do actually classical violin and piano. I did both of those in the RCM, the Royal Conservatory of Music here in uh, Toronto. Did you teach yourself guitar? Guitar, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was self-taught. So guitar, <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, it was guitar. I do some, like, uh, I mean, it's kind of like self-taught in the case of by necessity for recording. If I need right. to record guitar, bass, drums, I'll kind of figure it out and record that. But yeah, I'm, I'm trained in violin and piano specifically. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to back way up just to give people a sense of who you are. So you were born and raised in Canada, right? Yes, born and raised in Canada. So for most Americans, I'll say most because I've been to Canada quite a few times and I still won't pretend I know it. Uh, but for most Americans, we think of Canada as like America light. You know, that's because we're very egocentric and lunatics. Yeah. But, you know, Canada is like where all the good hockey players come from, where the good beer is, and it's a lot colder. But, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more 
to Canada. I've been to a fantastic Shakespeare festival there numerous times in Stratford, Ontario. Um, for other Americans, they get a chance to see their first European city if they go to Quebec City and see what that is like as opposed to like an American right. city. Um, but to, what's wonderful is Toronto is so much in my eyes like New York. And it's incredible. There's a big, you know, university town. There's lots of colleges. There's a lot of young energy. There's great comedy in Toronto. Um, what was it like growing up in that area as a musician? So, honestly, because I, okay, so because I'm living, like, I've been born and raised in just outside of Toronto. So, I was more in the suburbs area, mm -hmm. right? So, right. for me growing up, Toronto was always like the big city. Oh, it's the big city going downtown. Oh, it's a, let's take a day trip downtown, right? Right. So it wasn't until I started actually U of T, University of Toronto, I was actually doing sciences for two years. And that's when I started to actually be in Toronto, actually be like, um, you know, kind of based in Toronto and going there every day. And mm -hmm. I started to see the scene. And like you were saying, the hustle bustle of all the colleges, all the universities, all the people, like tons of people. I made the mistake once of driving downtown Toronto. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's like New York. I mean, I grew up outside of New York in Long Island, yeah. which is in the suburbs. You would take the train because that way when yeah, it's easy to yeah. get in and then you can just wander. Parking 100%. down. 100%. It must be the same way in Toronto. Absolutely the same way, right? So I didn't, it was kind of like a, a shock to me. Like, oh my gosh, like this is how, this is Toronto. I've, I've been like so close yet so far, right? Right. And, um, and then when I actually decided to switch out of science and go into music full time, I was, in, I was in Toronto just as much. I was just constantly going there because all the shows are there, all the venues are there, all the, you know, the people are there. There's a big scene in Toronto, uh, a music scene in Toronto with a lot of great people, a lot of great acts. And uh, yeah, it was just, it's just a really fun time. Every night something, you can go see something, do something. Now, as kids growing up, like for me, I was a cellist um, and I loved the cello. Yeah. But I taught myself to play guitar because that's where the real fun music, what, you know, I grew up listening to the, I'm older than you. So I grew up listening to the Beatles and, you know, the English and British invasion. And, right. you know, so you learn three or four chords and suddenly you can play a lot of songs for girls. Oh, I get together yeah. with guys <laughs> in garage bands and suddenly, uh, hang on a second. <laughs> hey, you're fine. My wife's just coming back from walking. Oh, this hello. is my my home studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. No worries. Um, uh, you know, I taught myself how to play on my mom's old classical guitar, um, and then you know progressed whatever. What was that evolution like for you? Because you know, I can think of some really cool violin players for rock or pop stuff, but I don't know if that's was that something that sucked you in, or did you love classical early, or what was so, the deal for you? Okay, let's see. So what happened? What happened was this. I actually was like kind of like I did grow up because my dad showed me a lot of like, you know, uh, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, you know, them. The Your dad is the greatest. Very, Thanks. Dad. Yeah, exactly, Those yeah, are exactly. great bands. So I was really interested in the guitar, but I was also a kid that was very um, interested in like if I saw something I liked, I would go all for it. So one day I was like seven or eight, I forget. And I saw um, somebody, one of my classmates brought a violin and she played just some classical, just some, I think it was just a study piece, like a level two study piece, nothing crazy. And I was like, that seems like a challenge. That seems fun. Let me do that. 
And I remember specifically because violin, I mean, if, if you're a cellist, you understand what I'm talking about. It's not an easy instrument, to, especially at the beginning. There's no, a, you really yeah. sound scratchy, screechy, and oh, intonation yeah. is so hard. And I have yeah. huge hands and big fingers and always did. So the violin would be a non-starter for me because, you know, you hold for people. Right. I, I'm showing it to you. People won't see this. But your hand is in a very different position when you're playing violin than it would be for guitar or cello, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Violin is, well, it's just a very uncomfortable, realistically, it's a very uncomfortable instrument to play, especially to learn, like your arms are tired, this and that. So I remember, and it's, this is going to tie into the guitar thing, because I remember specifically being like, oh my gosh, this is, this is ridiculous. This is like to get these notes. And my dad would just say, the violin helps to learn the guitar. Well, that's accurate. <laughs> And I'm like, all right, sure, fine. If it helps, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue the violin. And so I started to, you know, really play the violin. And at the same time, piano was always like, it was always like a baseline of like, you need to know piano to know everything else. Oh, and yeah, and I've talked about that too, because I jokingly say in, in many ways, a piano is to music like a dictionary is to language. Like every, yeah. all the music's right in front of you on a piano. I mean, right. in it, you can... If you can understand the notes on a piano and how they work and half steps and octaves and where everything is, and then you can do anything. And I mean, right, if you it's have all the laid out. Right. Right. Because it's all laid out there and it's all nice and easy to follow. So I always saw that as like a prerequisite for, for, for music. And what happened was there was like a shift where I was actually played in a band when I was in grade six and I was like, I'm doing lead guitar. I want to do lead guitar. So I started doing lead guitar, and that carried on into high school until grade 12. And grade 12, I started to find a little bit more use of the piano in my music. Mm. I was like, hmm, actually, I'm pretty trained in this instrument. And I started to treat the violin as a lead guitar. Yeah, right? and you can hear that in some of your music, and it really, it really works. What I like, and I may be jumping over a little bit, but it really gives your, the, the songs that I've listened to, it gives them an added sense of drama. Um, there, you know, I think that some people might get what I would call sleepy ears. You know, there's a, there's a, in a different sense, classic kind of rock layout. Meaning if we hear your standard rock song, we're going to hear two verses, there's going to be a chorus, and then we're going to go to the guitar solo. And it's, I mean, some, some variation on that. And the guitar solo is either going to be some kind of cool acoustic thing or somebody's going to like, burn up some hot electric lead and then we'll go back into the chorus you know but our ears are kind of waiting for something like that and for a violin to show up is like whoa this is different mm -hmm. and there are things you can do on a violin that just are going to sound different and give an added sense of drama or some sometimes even an ethnic feeling like there are some not in your piece necessarily but there are some things where if it's an irish piece and the violin comes in you're like yeah i get that um yeah but i also get a sense like i made some notes of some things i was listening to uh nine times and uh what's the song nine time nine times and after out of ten out of ten out of, no, out of ten sorry i yeah. miswrote this and also Lord. don't look back these are really these songs are cinematic mm -hmm. i mean and what i mean by that is i can see these songs being part of a film soundtrack but also the they give me a visual sense when i listen to them this is a these are real stories being told 
And what helps tell those stories, the violin and the instrumentation are interesting characters. They're not just typical characters. Have I just right. talked too much? Did any of that make sense? No, no, yeah, no, it all made sense. I, absolutely. I, I totally see it. Like, I, well, what I was going to say was, if you, uh, speaking about a 10, for instance, uh, you hear the guitar solo playing and then the violin is kind of intermixed with the, vi with the guitar, like that whole section there. Right. And to me, when I'm writing for like violin, specifically to choose to put a violin solo versus a guitar solo, I, I, I really hear them as separate voices. Mm -hmm. separate timbral things right there's certain right. things on a violin like don't look back a guitar solo is great but it's kind of you know that line if you were to put it on a guitar it makes it a little bit vanilla and there's something cool about the violin where it sounds very almost devilish right yes. it sounds very like screamy and very like like a voice really hitting those high notes uh, yes i think otherwise it would be like it would be like an elevator version of your song right it would just end up sounding like a yeah just like oh here's the guitar solo with the same kind of timbres and i'm really like a fan of the acoustic sound of the violin and the projection that you can get and um well i mean there's a million different pedals out there for guitars that try sounding like a violinist so there's a reason for that right right and it and they all sound like pedals that sound like violins even to this day i mean there's right. sampling technology is great but it's not the same. I, you know, I often talk with my wife about this. I'll listen to some old records and I'll listen to like an Elton John record, right? So it's Yellow Brick Road and there's a song called Harmony um, where the band is great, but there's strings come in and you're like, these are real strings. Like 20, 30, 40 people were in the studio playing violins and cellos and violas and like you can hear it and they're playing great and it just... I love that sound. And, you know, today you might get somebody on, you know, a synth with a bunch of racks of different sounds and stuff. I don't care. It's not the same to me. Yeah. It's like analog and digital, right? I mean, well, that's, and that's funny that you mentioned that because what working with uh, Jay uh, on the next albums on J with Jay Messina, mm. I've been just recording everything like analog completely. Like there's a real piano. There's no sampled piano. There's a real orchestra, like it's me playing, like it takes a long time, but it's me <laughs> constantly recording myself playing the part. So I have first violin, second violin, I have a viola that I play, and then I use kind of a fake cello. As I use a viola and I transpose it down an octave for the cello. Right. But it's all me actually playing. And it's one of those like things that I kind of wish I did on, on Familiar, on the, my, uh, my first album. But it's again, wow. so you live and you learn, right? Right, but right. It's I just definitely want definitely something... Yeah. Well, I just want that definitely people... makes a difference, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I wanted to plug your website. It's Daniel Monte Music. It's Daniel, as you would expect. Monte is M-O-N-T-E, music. That's all one word, dot com. You can go to Daniel's website there. You can learn a lot about Daniel and his band. And also just Google him and you'll see a bunch of music videos. Like I was able to listen to a bunch of your music in a very short period of time. So I got more of a sense of you to get ready for the interview. And you mentioned Jay Messina. Now, for people who listen to this, you'll know I interviewed Jay a few weeks ago. He's on podcast. I've known Jay for, I don't know, 15 years or maybe more. I'm friends with him and his wife. And um, I never actually worked with him. And I'm going to be recording with him Friday. But having been to his apartment and hanging out with him, I do see all the gold and platinum records on the wall. Yeah. And um, having spoken to him about his history, 
Um, you know, here's a guy who worked with Phil Ramone. Uh, Phil Ramone was one of the best producers of all time. Just, you know, Billy Joel was probably the most famous guy that he worked with. All he worked with tons of other guys. But, you know, Jay has recorded, uh, you know, John Lennon, Aerosmith, Kiss, um, uh, and a Krishna Das. I love that he's got such a wide range. I don't know if you know Krishna Das. He's a guy who does a lot of... Um, Indian spiritual music, which is just oh, yeah, no, amazing. I've never heard of it. Uh, well, Krishna I, Das, it's called? Krishna Das. Yeah, you will love das. I know you will love him because the orchestrations, while very different from yours, are, I think you guys are from the same place emotionally and spiritually. I don't know you that well, but having listened to your music, you know, you, you'll listen, you'll let me know, because you and I, I know we're going to meet. I just know it's going to happen. Yeah, outside of this yeah, um yeah um but so jay how did you actually run into jay because you know jay i don't think jay works in other people's studios anymore i mean given the way the music business works these days there's not even a lot of studios out there a lot of people record in their own spaces they use newer technology to do it very differently and as you i mean i'm looking at you we're speaking to you from your own I assume it's your home studio or uh, home studio, yeah, right. yeah, and yeah. you have like a really nice set of drums behind you, which yeah, I'm jealous yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. it looks very nice. Um, what um, and I'm, so how did you get to meet Jay and end up working with him? So it's funny. Cause uh, so I, uh, after familiar, I knew that I, like, as I was saying before, going the whole analog route, recording things properly, recording things more real, right. And having that real sense I was like, I need to have somebody to mix this, somebody to mix all the stems that I'm recording, all the violin, all the tracking and all the harmonies and all that. I'm like, I want somebody who knows what they're doing on this, on this track. Um, and I literally just Google searched best mixing engineers. <laughs> he would be at the top. He would be at the top. And yeah. So there was a, there's, there's a list of, you know, how they all pop up on Google. It's like with their profile pictures and whatever it is. And I was going through and I was just looking to see, you know, what, what they've worked on, what people have worked on, uh, what sounds are very similar. And then, you know, I realized that majority of the people out there are very, like you were saying, digital, right? Very in the digital world. And I decided because I wanted everything analog, because I wanted everything to be more, um, you know, recorded with audio instead of just MIDI all the time. Mm-hmm. Even though we do use some MIDI, I mean, we don't completely discredit it, but, you know, we try And just so people it. know... Yeah, just so people know, MIDI is musical uh, in, uh, digital interface. It's an acronym. It basically, it's computerized syncing up of synthesizers and other musical instruments, right? I just right, so yeah. there might be people who know what that is. So just anyway, so you didn't want to go MIDI because you know the truth is when MIDI came out, people would hook up their computer and a couple of synthesizers, and they could do the whole thing themselves. Not always great. And it, it lacked that soul. It had, a, it had a certain rhythm that, you know, worked for bands like Kraftwerk, maybe, if you're familiar with that German band Kraftwerk. But unless you were pretending to be a robot, it just didn't have any juice. So anyway, sorry. Well, and even, like, and what I will say about that, there are some virtual instruments that I still use. Like, I mean, like, sometimes you just can't get away from it because you literally have every sound available to you out of your fingertips. So yeah. there's still some sounds that I do use. But um, if everything, it's almost like it's an additive thing. If you layer too much MIDI and everything's virtual instrument, you end up starting to lose the 
the the human aspect to the music I found. So even just simple things like replacing instead of a, a fake piano, just stick some mics on an actual piano. Even if it's slightly out of tune, stick stick some mics on there. And right. It actually makes it feel more human. And you right. actually get a little bit more response from the music. But anyway, I was uh I, I ended up just like finding Jay on his website and I was like, wow, he worked with all these <laughs> all these great artists that I remember like, you know, being introduced to and listening to when I was growing up. Right. And I was like, okay, that would be really cool. I thought, okay, I'll send an email. Let's see what happens. You know, I, I don't expect anything of it. And then right. I got a call. <laughs> yeah, and he's he like, goes, yeah, go yeah, ahead, it's he called me. He didn't even. There was no email. He just he just gave me a call and was like, hey, Daniel, it's Jay Messina. How are you? I'm like, am I actually talking to Jay Messina? <laughs> it was actually, it was it was very funny. And then he's the sweetest guy. Super super cool guy. Um, oh, very, yeah. very helpful. Um, and yeah, I just honestly, I can't wait to meet him at some, at some point. What's so cool is, you know, he's got nothing to prove. He's done it all and he's just having yeah. fun. You can tell he's having fun and he also really loves giving his artistry to other people. Not like check me out, but more like, let's do this thing together. I'm, because he also gets collaboration is the key. You know, that that's, I've done a lot of stuff by myself. You obviously have done a lot by yourself. But at some point, and I don't know if this is true for you, you get to a point where you're like, I'm starting to feel like everything I'm doing is predictable. My songs are like, I did that in that I'm doing four songs with very similar chord changes. Or I mean, I just feel like I'm getting a little in my own rut kind of thing. And it's so cool when you add somebody else to the mix who can go, what if we did this? And you're like, if, if you're willing to throw your ego aside and realize you're not the greatest, you know, that you could get a contribution for someone from someone else. You know, I had the sense working on the project that I'm working on, that it would have certain types of voices or instrumentation. But, you know, Jay, ha I'm excited to see what Jay has to think. Because uh, who doesn't want to get a little expertise from someone of his caliber and experience? And so if it's like, oh, no, there's no drums in this song, maybe that's the greatest thing ever. I would never, you know, when I do my home recording, right. you know, I had a little, um, I don't play drums, but I had a Roland drum machine, you know, a TR-505, whatever it was. It was pretty good for its time. But after a while, you know, there's only so much I, you know, I was doing stuff in 4-4, four, four, I was doing my hi-hat hits, I was doing standard felt, like, mm. I, I wouldn't even think, no, let's not even have drums, or let's do this in 3-4, or like, I, I mean, you know, it, to have someone come in and give you a different feel uh, is it can be a tremendous gift, especially someone great. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, music is all about collaboration, especially with what I'm doing. Like uh, now with Jay, that's one thing. But I got also mentioned like on the website, you'll see two other two other faces on on, on my website, and that's Antonio and that's mm -hmm. Flavio, and they're both part of the the core Daniel Monte band, and um, they they help tremendously with 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 uh, with especially the newer newer material. Mm -hmm. uh, Familiar was more my kind of initiation into the music industry initiation into doing this kind of stuff right mm -hmm. so it was more and i actually like met the guys through needing a band to play familiar right and so that's kind of how that happened but now moving forward i noticed that it's like there's a lot more interesting things coming out of our next material like the next stuff coming up that is a lot more collaborative <laughs> usually i write some sort of foundational you know you know 
um, the bones and, you know, I put everything together. But then Antonio, for instance, will come in and he'll come up with a guitar part that kind of shapes the way we orchestrate the rest of the strings or the rest of this or whatever it is. It's a big, you know, it just makes something even more enhanced. And mm-hmm. Flav, Flav, like speaking of like going way back to what you were talking about before about cinematic, Flav is a fantastic, fantastic film composer, like it, it, ridiculous stuff. So he adds in all the effects of like the different swells and like bushes and, you know, all those different like things. Right. Just gives it that, that extra drama, that extra layer of drama. Well, I think so, that you got to, we were talking about your Italian background a little bit and I don't want to sound there is drama, you know, Italy gave us opera, yeah. you know, and there is a, when you see two Italian people speaking on the subway, it is an <laughs> opera in my experience. Like I'm yeah, compelled. Can, I don't know what they're talking about, but it is yeah. dramatic more than just your average American. You know what I mean? No, it's, yeah, no, it's true. And especially considering like Antonio is also Italian and uh, Flavio's Portuguese. So it's gotcha. very dynamic and very um, expressive, you know, um, ways of talking to each other. A lot of hands being thrown <laughs> around, you know, <laughs> yeah, I get it. and gestures. And you can, you can understand the whole conversation on mute. So <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome. And I yeah, love that you incorporated. I love that you look at them as your part. I mean, I just get the sense that they're not guys who play in your backup band. That they no, actually, no, absolutely not. They're yeah, I see them as part of Daniel Monte. Now the name, I know it's like it's not a band name. Some people get confused about that, right? They're going, oh, but it's 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 a one person name, right? But it was also because of the history. You know, it started as just me with Familiar, right? So we right. figured, okay, since we already have this out there, let's just continue the brand. Let's make it kind of like easy, easy to go about. And then also because Antonio is a very very talented musician, he's a Berkeley grad. Uh, on, on the guitar and he, he's very yeah. talented and he's got a lot of things going on too I want to free him up I don't want him to um, you know I want him to work with us and be there as often as he can of course but it's always good to just build a network a big larger network so if Antonio needs to do a gig he can do that without you know messing up Daniel Monta because at the end of the day you know the face the face remains right Right, right. No, and oh. and your handsome guy with long hair, and oh. <laughs> uh, I'm sure the you know that's Thank helpful you. to you. Um, I want to back up a little bit and ask who were the influences for you? When you know, as you were growing up, what did you listen to? Who do you consider your your guys and gals of the music you were listening to when that helped form who you are musically? So I listened to a lot of, okay, I got to give my dad credit for this because he basically introduced me to a lot of, uh, a lot of music. And um, honestly, I listened to like the Zeppelin, like Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Um, you know, I listened to even ACDC when I was yeah. younger. That's, I think everybody listens to ACDC when they're younger. You know what's uh, funny about ACDC? Can I just say this? Like when I, uh, hmm. ACDC and Led Zeppelin. Okay. they these are bands that people, I think, underappreciate in a way. Let, let me start with ACDC. ACDC, it's not easy to make anthemic songs, meaning like a song, when you hear it, you want to sing along, you feel motivated, let's go do something, let's get up, let's move. You yeah. know. And Back in Black, the album, is one of my all-time favorite albums. If you know me, I'm not a metal guy, I'm not a hard rock guy, but there are so many great riffs 
there's so many great sounds. There are great arrangements on that album. Shook Me All Night Long, Back in Black, mm. Highway to Hell. These are like, what? No, these are amazing songs. And if you right. listen to- they're all to- songs. Yeah. I was, was going to say, every, every title that you said, immediately I can hear, <laughs> I can hear what's going on, right? So it's like, I can hear exactly what the hook is. I can, I can, I can imagine the song immediately. And that's, that's a telltale sign of uh, like a job well done. Yeah, right? and that's pop music writing at its finest. Like if you heard a mellowed version of Shook Me All Night Long with strings, I bet it would still be kind of cool. I mean, it wouldn't have the same vibe. But, yeah, but, but those guys are great players and I think they make they make some of those songs seem simple, but they are not and they are really in the groove and they know what they're doing. Now, so I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, is I remember reading a book on ACDC and there was a, but it was like different artists like that kind of commented on it. And I think Slash, he goes, I got to give those guys credit because they did the most with three chords that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, true. They're, like, they, they, and it's so, so different. Like between all those songs, they sound so different. They all sound ACDC and they're using basically the same chords. Yeah. And it's amazing to see how do you, how do you manage? Because even me, I go, if when I want to do something new, I think, okay, chordal change, something different chordally, right? Right, right. Or harmonically. And no, they just, they managed to make something different and something fresh and something unique using the same, you know, same tools and still crafting something new, which is really cool. That, that I got to give them credit for. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I read the Dave Grohl book recently, uh, I think Storyteller. I can't remember exactly, but I recommend that book, by the way. And it's shame about Taylor or Hawkins. Uh, but uh, Dave has some amazing stories, as you would imagine. And he talks about meeting ACDC. Like he's already accomplished and he meets, they come to some event and, you know, this is Dave Grohl. He's in the rock and roll hall of fame for two different bands. Okay. Right. And two different instruments. Like he, he's the drummer for arguably one of the best punk. I mean, they called what just one of the best rock bands ever Nirvana. And then he's front man, just for people who don't know for Foo Fighters. And um, he's a great songwriter, he's a great musician, but he's blown away when he gets to meet ACDC. I just think that's really cool. Um, and then, and Zeppelin, you know, I'm really into listening to drums lately. I'm toying with the idea of buying an electric set for home to play with. It's because I, I live in an apartment in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, and to have a set of drums here would get me in so much trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but a little electric set that I could listen to with headphones and practice whatever it might be kind of cool. So uh, I'm listening to Zeppelin. I'm like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> like you'd think, okay, this should be, yeah. it's Mississippi blues, one, four, five. Like how hard could this? No, but have you ever heard? I remember like, again in the, in the band in high school, I remember we were like, oh, we got to play good times, bad times. Let's do that one. And right. the drummer was like, guys, we can't do that one. <laughs> It's like trying to play the who I, I was listening to going mobile while well, I was working out this morning and listening to going mobile, um, which is from, I think who's next. Um, and for people who don't know Keith moon, um, he keeps time exactly perfectly, but he never plays the same four beats in a row. Like, I don't know how he, how he did it. It's like, everything is a fill, but it all works. 
Um, yeah. So there's just some of those people that are amazing. Sorry, I know we're that doing sidetracked. No, but, but that reminds me of Tiger Drums. Even like, I mean, back to the influences of the police with Stuart Copeland. I mean, that's like, uh, he's like a crazy guy on the, because he, he plays it like it's, 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 it's not just a backbeat percussion instrument. It's an instrument. It's an actual, like some sort of, with phrasing and with uh, different motifs and different this and different that. And he actually plays it like expressively. And that's what I love the way, the, the way he does it. He plays it like he's playing guitar, you know? Yeah. You know, what's interesting about him is first of all, with the police, you know, it's three guys. So there's nowhere to hide and you can't, you have to, if you don't use the drums that way, that is going to be a boring band, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it would be the same for Zeppelin, but also, He's gone on to do a lot of soundtrack work, he, he, and which I think is um, very interesting to note because he's supposedly just a percussionist, but we both know he's not. I mean, you can't, I mean, he clearly is a great musician. Um, that was an amazing band, The Police, and not surprisingly, a very volatile band. Um, <laughs> three huge egos. <laughs> huge and great great talented guys um i mean yeah they're fantastic they're really good so speaking of instrumentalists and instruments so i see the drums back there um mm -hmm. with violins you know we could talk about names but nobody even i i'm not going to know the name brand of a violin unless it's some instrument company that makes other instruments do you have i see behind you a bunch of amps that i recognize all these old fender amps or old style it looks like a twin back a twin reverb or something like it back yeah, there I think, honestly i'm not i can't take credit for these amps they're all my dad's so. <laughs> oh. well that's all which means they're probably older and great they're all tube amps yeah. probably <laughs> well yeah we got so actually there's another one that i think he he has in the rehearsal space but that's a beautiful tube amp actually antonio gave uh like uh, sold that one to him and it's, it's it's a beautiful amp it's um oh god what is it called I think it's a PV. I think it's just oh, a PV, yeah. but it sounds amazing. There, there are some, I had a PV bass that was one of the greatest instruments I ever owned. It was not expensive, but it, it had a really great maple neck that played like a guitar. So I was mm -hmm. able to transition a little easier. Um, but what about when, when you're playing guitar, because I know you sort of fill in occasionally, do you, do you have a brand loyalty or is there something you're like, oh no, I, I I have no idea what I'm doing or so <laughs> like with, what's your vibe on guitars with art. Now, again, I don't play much on the tracks um, since I have Antonio. I mean, like when you have somebody with Antonio to Antonio's caliber of guitar playing, mm -hmm. why play yourself? Right? <laughs> I, I hear that. You'll get it. Way, you'll do a way better job. Right. Okay. And um, but I am there in the process of, you know, what are we going to do on tracking this? What are we going to get? Well, what kind of sounds are we going to do? What kind of parts are we going to do? Um, and we notice that a lot of the time, more often than not, Stratocaster, Fender Strat, is the way to go. Because it's so bright, especially with our stuff, because there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. The clarity in, in a Strat really lets those parts ring out and not necessarily overtake the, 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 whole, um, you know, the whole orchestration, so to speak, right. or production. Um, there's something about those pickups... Um, yeah, it just, it's very, yeah, it just works. It just works really, really well. And it's like, you hear every single, what I like about it is you hear every single like, um, articulation, every single, uh, dynamic feel that you want to go for with the Les Paul, like a Gibson, we've tried to use Les Paul in our, um, 
in, our, in some of our recordings, we found for rhythm, it works really well. Sometimes for lead, it gets a little bit muddy because our stuff is so, because it has strings already playing there. It has already, it has full orchestration. So it's a lot of mid-range stuff. Right. So sometimes Gibson gets a little bit lost in that. So I always found the Strat, like I, I can never really go wrong with the Strat. I mean, it's, it's funny. I don't own one currently, but it's, uh, I think it would be my favorite guitar if I could only, and I'll probably get another one sometime. Uh, but I have mm. two lovely guitars my wife bought me for my birthday. I have a Taylor acoustic that I love. And I have a Gretsch that's uh, semi-hollow that um, I'll be playing the bulk with Jen on Friday. But um, the Strat, that five-position switch allows you to do so much. And those single-coil pickups, what I find so interesting about certain instruments like a Strat is it feels at home everywhere. Like, I see jazz players play it. I just saw Tim McGraw in an outdoor concert. He's a really great country singer. And his band, by the way, the guitar players in his band were ridiculous. He had three guitar players and they were all amazing. I was trying to figure out who was better and I couldn't. They were all just amazing. And they switched guitars like every song they were switching out guitars. But there were a lot of strats and telecasters mm. and they were right. amazing. And, yeah. uh, and if you're not a guitar nerd, I'm sorry, but I am a real... I used to sell musical instruments. I love musical instruments. I could spend a day just fussing around with them. Um, so thank you for enduring that conversation. <laughs> so no, I, I, <laughs> great. I love, I love, I love talking guitars. Why not? I, I know you and I spoke very briefly beforehand, but as we're coming toward the back end of this conversation, I wanted people to know you're going to be playing right here in the States soon. Um, when am. is that going to be? July 27th. We just got booked in at the cutting room. No, the cutting room is a really great, a great venue. Have you read up on the cutting room or looked at it so, at all? It's one of those venues where, okay, so Antonio studied, as I was saying, at Berkeley. So he was in Boston, right? Right. And I have some friends now in Boston. And it's one of those places you mentioned the cutting room. They're like, oh, yeah, the cutting room. <laughs> ah, like it's a known place. So I'm like, oh, where am I like? A part of me is going, oh, my God, where are we playing? <laughs> like, should I be more nervous? What's going on? But yeah, apparently I've heard that it's a very, very cool venue. I've looked, I've checked it out online. Yeah, it seems like a very, um, like, it has a lot of history there. So right. I am, I'm super excited to play there. Yeah, July 27th. That's when that's happening. Tickets must be available. Uh, so I'm going to try to get this interview up before then so that people who hear this can go, oh, I should really check this out. And we can yeah, make be- it a crowded, crowded room for you. Um, that'd be awesome. So when you are playing live, are you four guys? Are you three guys? We're five, actually. Five guys. We do. Yeah. So we have me, I play the keys, I sing, and then I grab the violin. Right. Right. So I have those, my three instrument changes. Sometimes I'll grab the guitar depending on the situation, depending on the song. Right. And then there's Antonio. He does backups Mm -hmm. and he uh, plays the guitar. We have Flavio, and he's the guy adding all those orchestral elements, right? With us, mm-hmm. he uses a synth live, right. and he runs it through Contact. Um, I don't know, I don't know if you if you know Contact, but it's a great, great virtual instrument um, like program. And um, yeah, he he covers all the synth parts, the heavier parts, the string parts, stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then we got the drummer and the bass, and those guys are interchangeable uh, depending on where we're playing. A lot of the guys, like well, there's one bassist from. Uh, 
uh, here from uh, from from Canada, from Newmarket, just uh, just north of Toronto. And then there's another guy from Boston. So it's like it depends on who's available, who's around, and we kind of have a roster that we switch around between. Same with drums. I love that you said Newmarket. I went to college long before you were born, but my first one of my first roommates was a guy from Newmarket, Ontario, and I don't hear oh, yeah. that very often. He was a hockey player. Uh, or as he would say, a hooky, I can't do the accent, but he had, was like the first, he had like a real, like, you know, that kind of like people make fun of a sort of Canadian accent. Canadian accent like yeah. he was like right there. He had that accent and he played hockey. He smoked players, cigarettes, um, which is a very Canadian yeah, brand of yeah, cigarettes. Of players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he drank Brador beer. Like he would bring down. I mean, it was so I, really, yeah. So I was going to say about the accent, I didn't realize, you know, how Canadians really speak, because I'm around Canada all the time, right? I don't know that. But I went to, when I went to Boston last, I remember going and meeting a bunch of people there. And then I'd, every once in a while, say, hey, like, oh, yeah, that was good, eh? (laughs) And immediately, I remember one time I went, yeah, that was cool, eh? And they stopped and they went, he said the A thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like... Oh my gosh. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I am Canadian. (laughs) Oh, oh, you are. It's official. You got the passport and everything, but I'm sure it's the same way for you with Boston. I mean, I lived in Boston for 20 years, by the way, I live in Brooklyn. I'm from New York originally back. Um, But while most people don't sound like that Boston accent from the movies, occasionally you will hear it. Like I've traveled. Occasionally. Yeah. I've traveled with my wife and she'll hear somebody like in a grocery store and she'll be like, because oh, she's from San Francisco yeah. and she has like no accent, you know, as far as I can yeah. hear it. Uh, her right. relatives think though that she's a New Yorker now because she speaks quickly and um, which is very New York, as yeah. you probably know, <laughs> uh, as I'm illustrating in this process. Right. <laughs> um, so after, after the cutting room, do you guys have some other... Do you have a plan of maybe touring the music that you're going to work on with Jay? Is that, or is the first thing, let's like, let's get the Jay stuff. Uh, let's have him mix everything and then put that out. Like what's the right, plan? Well, what, what we've been doing. Okay. So there's kind of a, a four step plan, I guess you can say what we've been doing this summer. We're trying to figure out. Okay. So basically we through, through, through time right now, we've kind of been doing what everybody else has been doing in the sense of, Let's try to do one song, get it out there. Let's try to do another song, get an album out there. Try to do this, try to do that. But it was kind of sporadic, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, it's hard to tour during the pandemic. I mean, nobody was Well, doing yeah, that anything. kind of, I didn't realize how much that affected us until we mm-hmm. started playing again. And I'm like, wow, that's, uh, we missed all of this for the past two years. Uh, right, so, right. <laughs> But um, what I was saying was I was try- like, we're trying to build some sort of system of like, okay, this is the job now. What is our job? What does it entail? So what is the content creation? What, what are these releases? And one mistake that we made was like releasing a song. And then like a year after, because life happens, a year after we release the video. And that's too, too disjunct of a, of, a, of, a, of a plan. Right. right. People, you, want, you lose your momentum. Right. You lose your momentum. And then you kind of just like have to kind of restart with every release that you're doing in a sense. Right. Where it's like, okay, now we got to restart with this video release. So right. instead of that, what I'm trying to do, what we're trying to do for this, this project, uh, it's eight tracks. We still have to get, I think the last three mixed by Jay. Mm-hmm. And then we want to make, and we're actually working on making the videos already now. 
before the release, getting those all ready to go. And we figure in the meantime, while we get that going, we got we have an album. We already have Familiar. And that released hilariously in you know, J- January 2020. <laughs> so as soon as we're like, all right, we're going to tour this album. We're going to play around. The world uh, got shut down for two years. Oh, uh, so sorry. What better? No, nah, but like, what, what better like way to, you know, kind of correct that <laughs> right. than to play as much as we can now? So we've got this summer like ten different shows all around Toronto, Barrie, uh, one in New York, right? So we're trying to play as much as we can and get the word out with the music that we already have out because there are some. I think there's some cool songs in there. Out of ten, Don't Look Back are two of my favorite ones and probably the most more popular ones. Yeah, um, they're great. I mean, you guys have something that's very, to me, it's very original and um, sonically really interesting, not the same old, same old. And I like the, the melodic and the, there's a romantic quality to your music that I find lacking in some things, you know, uh, but anyway, what you, you're well, smiling. It's funny, it's I hope funny that's you good. said that. No, yeah. it's funny you said that because when we're talking about the inspirations and stuff like that, I forgot to mention a huge inspiration, which is classical music. I mean, I I, I grew up playing um, romantic era violin pieces, right? Right. So, and a lot of those are very like I think you, you I mean you must have heard if you were listening to like a song like Way Back Home, mm-hmm. you'll notice that there's like stark contrast between sections, and there's even key changes that kind of fall down but unnoticeable but still kind of add to some sort of um, reason. There's a reason be- behind it. It's all kind of, you know, operatic in a sense, right? Right, and right. All, I think a big influence of that, like that way of approach of writing, is the, 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 romantic, the romantic concertos and stuff that I would play. Um, For people who don't know... You know, people think of classical music as this just giant thing. Now, for those of us who've studied it and played it, you know, we can think of, you know, Mozart as, say, the height of classic and then Beethoven beginning the Romantic era. Or beginning, what, yeah, beginning what, Romantic. And what would you, who, who were the guys and gals that were your big, the ones that you listened to the most or that you feel so inspired most I, by? I actually like the later, later Romantic um romantic stuff and even the virtuosic things like you listen to Paganini and you're going oh my god I'm gonna quit violin this is insane I can't believe (laughs) (laughs) that this is possible right so you listen to some of that but then even listening to you know Liszt, Chopin on the piano virtuosic Uh, players like that Rachmaninoff then you listen to I mean yeah (laughs) and then you listen to um but even like pushing ahead I've been getting into like Debussy and like you treating the world as like or, or music as very like flowing um you know, like I know he doesn't like being an impressionist. He doesn't like it. He never liked the idea of being impressionistic, but he is in a sense. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be some music uh, music theorists that are going to disagree, but you know. It, hey, man, all, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, I, I right. my wife and I go to museums a lot. We belong to some, and I am as a musician. I love looking at the art of a period and thinking about the music of the period, and they are so intertwined hugely that's that's what gets like that's what i i do the same thing when i walk into an art gallery which i love going to the art gallery you can hear the paintings in a sense because well, if, gonna... if you know the era mm-hmm. yeah you can you can see what what you can see what they were thinking and hear what they're what they're thinking at that time 
I'm going to urge you, if you have time and you're awake enough after your gig and you're still in the city, to hit a couple of museums, you know, either the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is huge and there's a lot there, mm -hmm. or some other museums, I think you'll really be glad that you did it. Uh, in the same way Absolutely. that I'm glad that I've gotten to meet you, Daniel Monte, I'm going to wrap it up here. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? Um, besides the shows, that's, I, I think, I think you basically covered pretty much everything. I had a great time. This was a great chat. Good. Me too. I'm, I'm really glad to meet you. Like I said, I hope that we get a chance to see each other in person. I suspect that our paths will cross. Um, and I've really enjoyed your music and I urge other people to go to danielmontemusic.com. Uh, again, it's Daniel Monte is M-O-N-T-E, music, all one word, dot com. And of course, you can Google him. You'll see lots of videos out there. You guys are good at making sure your stuff is out there. <laughs> well you. done. Oh, one thing One yes. thing I will plug. Um, Please. If you have Instagram, if anybody has Instagram, at Daniel Monte Music, we post a lot on there. Um, that's kind of our main social platform. So if you want to check out you know, pictures and videos and kind of updated tour dates, yeah, that's probably the best I, place to go. Instagram. I like it. I like it because Twitter, where I'm a bigger presence as a lawyer and other things, I tend to see a lot more angry and I don't know what. But Instagram is just, it's a happier place to hang. You know, you see yeah. food, you hear music. There's a lot of dogs and cats and right. it's cool music. And I just think Instagram is, yeah. it's a great way to lose two hours of your life. Uh, sometimes oh, absolutely <laughs> absolutely i have a timer on my phone to make sure i don't spend too much time <laughs> but i i encourage people to follow you that'd be great because i think they'll be very happy that they did daniel monte thank you so much for being on is that really legal with eric rubin i had a great time thank you it was i'm huge happy to be here it was a pleasure thank you daniel monte i I'm excited for you if you're going to go see him. Remember, they're going to be at The Cutting Room on Wednesday, July 27th. That's here in New York City. They'll be back up in Toronto on August 5th. Um, and, you know, if you're still in Toronto on July 21st, they'll be at The Rock Pile. They're, they're doing a lot of cool shows. You can find out more at danielmontemusic.com. As always, if you have questions, concerns, joyful responses, you can let me know at www.isthatreallylegal.com. Throw an Abe's Muffin in your face. Start giving money to Democrats. Yes, I said it. Liberals. People who don't ban books. People who do not believe in the violent overthrow of this country. We need to take this country back from fascism. They only have to win once. And then we're in a lot of trouble. Um, so please, please do what you can. It could be phone banking. It could be writing a check. It could be taking people to the polls. It could be speaking out. Do something. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.